Chapters 37 and 38 of History of Rome from the Earliest Times down to 476 A.D. by Robert F. Pennell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 37 The Augustan Age In speaking of Augustus, we must take into account the writers whose names have given to his its brightest luster and have made the augustan age a synonym for excellence in culture art and government virgil ovid horace livy and a host of others have given his reign a brilliancy unmatched in time which is rather enhanced than diminished by the fame of cicero caesar and sallust who preceded and that of tacitus seneca and others who followed for they belong to an epoch in which augustus stands the central figure in all which pertains to the arts of peace in literature the name of virgil stands first in the augustan age born at andes near mantua october fifteen seventy he was educated at cremona and mediolanum after completing his education he retired to his paternal estate in the division of land among the soldiers after the battle of philippi forty two he was deprived of his property which was subsequently restored to him by augustus he lived partly at rome partly in campania his health was never good and he died in his fifty-second year september twenty two nineteen b c Virgil had neither original nor creative genius. Though he mainly imitated Greek poetry, his style is graceful and eloquent, his tone inspiring and elevating. In disposition he was childlike, innocent, and amiable, a good son, a faithful friend, honest, and full of devotion to persons and ideal interests. He was not, however, fitted to grapple with the tasks and difficulties of practical life. In his fortunes and friends he was a happy man. Munificent patronage gave him ample means of enjoyment and leisure, and he had the friendship of all the most accomplished men of his day, among whom was Horace, who entertained a strong affection for him. His fame, which was established in his lifetime, was cherished after his death, as an inheritance in which every Roman had a share, and his works became schoolbooks even before the death of Augustus, and have continued such ever since. Horace, 65 to 8 B.C., was born at Venusia, but received his education at Rome and Athens. He was present at the Battle of Philippi, 42, where he fought as tribune under Brutus. His first writings were his satires. These he read to his friends, and their merit was at once recognized. His great patron was Maecenas, who introduced him to the emperor, and gave him a fine country seat near Tivoli, among the Sabine mountains. He died the same year as his patron, and was buried beside him at the Escaline Gate. The poems of Horace give us a picture of refined and educated life in the Rome of his time. 
they are unsurpassed in gracefulness and felicity of thought. Filled with truisms, they were for centuries read and quoted more than those of any other ancient writer. Ovid, 43 B.C. to 18 A.D., a native of Sulmo, is far inferior to Virgil and Horace as a poet, but ranks high on account of his great gift for narration. Of the Latin poets he stands perhaps nearest to modern civilization, partly on account of his fresh and vivid sense of the beauties of nature, and partly because his subject is love. His representations of this passion are graceful and strikingly true. He also excelled other poets in the perfect elegance of his form, especially in the character and rhythm of his verses. He spent his last days in exile, banished by Augustus for some reason now unknown. Some of his most pleasing verses were written during this period. One of the most noted men of the Augustan age was Maecenas, the warm friend and adviser of Augustus. He was a constant patron of the literature and art of his generation. He was very wealthy, and his magnificent house was the center of literary society in Rome. He helped both Virgil and Horace in a substantial manner, and the latter is constantly referring to him in his poetry. He died, 8 B.C., childless, and left his fortune to Augustus. The prose writers who lived at this period were Livy, Sallust, and Nepos. Livy is the best of these. He was a native of Padovium, Padua, a man of rhetorical training, who spent most of his time in Rome. The historical value of his work cannot be overestimated on account of the scarcity and in many cases the utter lack of other historical documents on the times of which he wrote. His style is spirited and always interesting. His accuracy, however, is not to be compared with that of Caesar. Only thirty-five out of the one hundred and forty-two books that he wrote are preserved. Nepos was a prolific writer, but only a portion of one of his works, De Viris Illustribus has come down to us. It is neither accurate nor interesting and of little value. Sallust left two historical productions, one on the conspiracy of Catiline, the other on the war with Jugurtha. His style is rhetorical. He excels in delineating character, but he is often so concise as to be obscure. Gaius Asinius Polio was a statesman and orator of marked attainments of this time. He was strongly attached to the old republican institutions, a man of great independence of character, and a poet of no mean merit, as his contemporaries testify. Unfortunately, none of his writings are preserved. The age of Augustus is also noted for the architectural improvements in Rome. Augustus is said to have found a city of stone and left one of marble. He himself built twelve temples and repaired eighty-two that had fallen into decay. The forum was beautified by five halls of justice, basilica, which were erected around its borders. 
The most famous of these was the Basilica Julia, begun by Julius Caesar and finished by Augustus. Public squares were planned and begun north of the Great Forum, the finest of which was the Forum of Trajan, finished by the emperor of that name. The finest building outside of the city, in the Campus Martius, was the Pantheon, built by Agrippa, and now used as a Christian church. Here are buried many distinguished men. Nearby, Augustus erected a mausoleum for himself. Here, too, was a theater, built by Pompey, the first stone theater of Rome. End of chapter 37 Chapter 38 The Julian and Claudian Emperors Tiberius, 14-37 A.D. Augustus was succeeded by Tiberius Claudius Nero Caesar, born 42 B.C., the son of Tiberius Claudius Nero and Livia. His mother obtained a divorce from Tiberius and married Augustus. Tiberius had great military talent. He was a severe disciplinarian and commanded the full confidence of his soldiers. As commander in Cantabria, Armenia, Raetia, Dalmatia, and Germany, he conducted his campaigns with success and honor to himself. Returning to Rome in 7 B.C., he celebrated a triumph and afterwards married Julia, the dissolute daughter of Augustus. This marriage proved to be the ruin of Tiberius, developing everything that was bad in his character and making him jealous, suspicious, and hypocritical. Augustus, not relishing the changes in his character, sent him to Rhodes, where he lived seven years in retirement. Through his mother's influence, however, he was recalled in 2 A.D., and was afterwards appointed the emperor's successor. He ascended the throne at the age of fifty-six, a silent man. All his feelings, desires, and ambitions were locked behind an impenetrable barrier. He is said but once to have taken counsel with his officers. He was a master of dissimulation, and on this account an object of dislike and suspicion but until his later years his intellect was clear and far-seeing, penetrating all disguises. Throughout his reign, Tiberius strove to do his duty to the empire at large, and maintained with great care the constitutional forms which had been established by Augustus. Only two changes of importance were made. First, the imperial guard, hitherto seen in the city, only in small bodies, was permanently encamped in full force close to the walls. By this course, the danger of riots was much lessened. Secondly, the old comitias were practically abolished, but the Senate was treated with great deference. Tiberius expended great care on the provinces. His favorite maxim was that a good shepherd should shear and not flay his sheep. Soldiers, governors, and officials of all kinds 
or kept in a wholesome dread of punishment if they oppressed those under them. Strict economy and public expenses kept the taxes down. Commerce was cherished, and his reign, on the whole, was one of prosperity for the empire. Tiberius was noted especially for prosecutions for magistas, on the slightest pretext. Magistas nearly corresponds to treason, but it is more comprehensive. One of the offenses included in the word was effecting, aiding in, or planning the death of a magistrate, or of one who had the imperium or potestas. Tiberius stretched the application of this offense even to words, or conduct which could in any way be considered dangerous to the emperor. A hateful class of informers, delatores, sprung up, and the lives of all were rendered unsafe. The dark side of this ruler's character is made specially prominent by ancient historians, but their statements are beginning to be taken with much allowance. After a reign of twenty-three years, Tiberius died, either in a fainting fit or from violence, at the age of seventy-nine. Livia, the mother of Tiberius, deserves more than a passing notice. She exercised almost a boundless influence on her husband, Augustus. She had great ambition, and was very cruel and unscrupulous. She managed to ruin, one after another, the large circle of relatives of Augustus, until finally the aged emperor found himself alone in the palace with Livia and her son Tiberius. All Rome execrated the empress, and her son feared and hated her. She survived Augustus fifteen years, and died in twenty-nine. Tiberius refused to visit her on her deathbed, and was not present at her funeral. Sejanus was the commander of the Praetorian Guard of Tiberius. He was trusted fully by the emperor, but proved to be a deep-dyed rascal. He persuaded Livilla, the daughter-in-law of the emperor, to poison her husband, the heir apparent, and then he divorced his own wife to marry her. He so maligned Agrippina, the widow of Germanicus and daughter of Agrippa and Julia, that Tiberius banished her with her sons, Nero and Drusus. In 26, he induced the emperor to retire to the island of Capri, and he himself became the real master of Rome. Tiberius at last finding out his true character, Sejanus was arrested and executed in 31. His body was dragged through the streets, torn in pieces by the mob, and thrown into the Tiber. Caligula 37-41 Tiberius having left no son, the Senate recognized Gaius Caesar, son of Germanicus and Agrippina, grandson of Julia, and great-grandson of Augustus, as emperor. He is better known as Caligula, a nickname given him by the soldiers from the buskins he wore. 
he was twenty-five years of age when he began to reign, of weak constitution and subject to fits. After squandering his own wealth, he killed rich citizens and confiscated their property. He seemed to revel in bloodshed, and is said to have expressed a wish that the Roman people had but one neck that he might slay them all at a blow. He was passionately fond of adulation, and often repaired to the Capitoline temple in the guise of a god, and demanded worship. Four years of such a tyrant was enough. He was murdered by a tribune of his Praetorian guard. The Claudian Emperors Claudius, 41-54 to a strong party was now in favor of returning to a republican form of government. But while the Senate was considering this question, the Praetorian Guard settled it by proclaiming Claudius emperor. Claudius was the uncle of Caligula and the nephew of Tiberius. He was a man of learning and good parts, but a glutton, and the slave of his two wives, who were both bad women. His first wife, Messalina, was so notorious that her name has become almost a synonym for wickedness. His second wife, his niece Agrippina, sister of Caligula, was nearly as bad. This woman had by her former husband, Domitius, a son whom she induced the emperor to adopt under the name of Nero. The faithless wife, then caused her husband to be poisoned, and her son to be proclaimed emperor. At Rome, the rule of Claudius was mild, and on the whole, beneficial. In the government of the provinces, he was rigorous and severe. He undertook the conquest of Britain, and in a campaign of sixteen days, he laid the foundation of its final subjugation which occurred about forty years later, under the noted general Agricola. It remained a Roman province for four hundred years, but the people never assimilated Roman customs as did the Gauls, and when the Roman garrisons were withdrawn, they quickly returned to their former condition. However, many remains of Roman buildings in the island show that it was for the time well under subjection. The public works of Claudius were on a grand scale. He constructed a new harbor at the mouth of the Tiber, and built the great aqueduct called the Aqua Claudia, the ruined arches of which can be seen to this day. He also reclaimed for agriculture a large tract of land by draining the Fucine Lake. Nero, 54-68. Nero was but sixteen years old when he began to reign. For two or three years he was under the influence of his tutor Seneca, the author, and Burrus, the prefect of the Praetorian Guard, and his government was during this period the most respectable of any since the time of Augustus. His masters kept the young emperor amused, and removed from the cares of state, but he soon became infatuated with an unscrupulous woman, 
Popeia Sabina, for whom he neglected and finally killed his wife, Octavia. It would be useless to follow in detail the crimes of Nero from this time. A freedman, Tigellinus, became his adviser and was the real ruler of the empire. He encouraged his master in all his vices and wickedness. Poppaea died from a kick administered by Nero in anger. Burrus was disposed of. Agrippina and Britannicus, the true heir to the throne, were murdered. The wealthy were plundered, and the feelings of his subjects outraged in every conceivable manner. The emperor appeared in public, contending first as a musician, and afterwards in the sports of the circus. The great fire of July 1864, which destroyed a large part of the city, was ascribed to him, but without sufficient evidence, and the stories of his conduct during the conflagration are doubtless pure fictions. It was necessary, however, to fix the guilt on someone, so the Christians, then a small sect, made up chiefly of the poorer people, were accused of the crime and persecuted without mercy. They were often enclosed in faggots covered with pitch and burned alive. In rebuilding Rome, Nero took every precaution against the recurrence of a conflagration. Broad, regular streets replaced the narrow, winding alleys. The new houses were limited in height, built partly of hard stone, and protected by open spaces and colonnades. The water supply was also carefully regulated. In addition to rebuilding the city, Nero gratified his love for the magnificent by erecting a splendid palace called the Golden House. Its walls were adorned with gold, precious stones, and masterpieces of art from Greece. The grounds around were marvelous in their meadows, lakes, groves, and distant views. In front was a colossal statue of Nero himself, one hundred and ten feet high. Conspiracies, having been formed in which Seneca and Lucan were implicated, both men were ordered to take their own lives. Nero's life after this became still more infamous. In a tour made in Greece, he conducted himself so scandalously that even Roman morals were shocked, and Roman patience could endure him no longer. The governor of hither Spain, Galba, proclaimed himself emperor and marched upon Rome. Virginius, the governor of Upper Germany, also lent his aid to the insurrection. The Senate proclaimed Nero a public enemy and condemned him to death. He fled from the city and put an end to his life, June 968, just in time to escape capture. His statues were broken down, his name everywhere erased, and his golden house demolished. With him ended the Claudian line of emperors. Lucius Aeneas Seneca, 8 B.C. to 65 A.D. 
was born at Corduba in Spain, of a Spanish Roman family, and was educated at Rome. His father was a teacher of rhetoric, a man of wealth and literary attainments. Seneca began to practice at the bar at Rome, and was gaining considerable reputation, when in 41 he was banished to Corsica. Eight years later, he was recalled to be tutor of the young Nero, then eleven years old. He was consul in 57, and during the first years of Nero's reign, he shared the administration of affairs with the worthy Burrus. His influence over Nero, while it lasted, was salutary, though often maintained by doubtful means. In course of time, Nero began to dislike him, and when Burrus died, his fate was sealed. By the emperor's command, he committed suicide. Opening the veins in his feet and arms, he discoursed with his friends on the brevity of life till death ensued. Seneca is the most eminent of the writers of his age. He wrote moral essays, philosophical letters, physical treatises and tragedies of the last the best are hercules forens phaedra and medea galba sixty eight to sixty nine otho sixty nine vitellius sixty nine galba entered the city as a conqueror without much trouble but on account of his parsimony and austerity, he soon became unpopular and was murdered by his mutinous soldiers fifteen days after he reached Rome. He belonged to an old patrician family, and his overthrow was sincerely regretted by the better element in the city. Otho, the first husband of Poppaea, and the leader in the insurrection against Galba, was now declared emperor. No sooner did the news of his accession reach Gaul than Vitellius, a general of the army of the Rhine, revolted. Otho marched against the rebels, was defeated, and committed suicide after a reign of three months. Vitellius had been a good soldier, but as a ruler he was weak and incapable. He was killed after a reign of less than a year, during which he had distinguished himself by gluttony and vulgar sensuality. End of chapter 38 End of section 15